Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. All right, where in the word are you today? I have begun a journey in the Gospel of John. We want you to join us in our journey through the Gospel of John during the remainder of the season of Lent leading up through Easter Monday. Uh, And so I just invite you today to go to MyFaithRadio.com and join us in our Gospel of John journey with Jesus. Um, You can also join me in that journey. I'm producing um, what we what I call a reconnect one it's just a one minute reflection on the particular chapter of scripture that we're reading together. You can find those at reconnectwithcarmen.com. So join me on the Gospel of John journey through the rest of the season of Lent. Okay, I know that every time that we listen to the the headline news at the top of an hour or you know at the just depending where you are and the context that you're in right now, um, pretty much. The news is dominated with one particular subject, and I recognize that, and I know that. And um, what we want to be doing here is helping you work through that information in a way that honors Jesus so that you are a person who is confident in Christ, um, that you recognize that even though, um, let's say, the, the Dow futures are down this morning, you recognize that the future is held in the hands of one who can be trusted, um, who loves us supremely, who already knows the plans he has for us, and that those are plans for a future that is filled with hope. And I want you to be mindful of that today. Um, The news is largely, I mean, it seems to be largely like what we would categorize in the world as bad. But I want you to consider for a moment how we even come up with those categories. How do you discern what is good from what is bad? And is that solely based on your feelings in the moment? And if your judgment of whether or not something is good, is good or bad is based solely on your feelings, the circumstantial feelings that you are having in a given moment, is that faithful? That is an honest-to-God question that you and I not only need to be asking ourselves, but we need to be prepared to figure out how to introduce that question into the lives of others. Um, People are increasingly stressed. They are finding that the foundations upon which they have built their life are literally sand. Um, And and the bottom's coming out from under a lot of people and their lives. And you and I as Christians who have constructed our life on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ— The same winds are blowing, the same seas are rising, the same storms are pounding, but we're not terrified, we're confident in Christ, we're not shaken. Um, I mean, we might shiver a bit, like I recognize that, but we're not shaken to the core or, you know, it, Christ holds, like Christ holds. This is not... um, This is not a time 
for you and I as Christians um, to be representing um, God as if God is surprised or as if God is anything other than who he presents himself to be, to be, who he has demonstrated himself to be over not only G, uh, generations and eons. I was going to say, I was going to merge those two words, and I was going to come up with a generations, eons word, but then I realized I was unable to do that. Okay, Christ holds. Christ holds. And so if, um, if today, and because you will, you and I will encounter people today um, who have constructed their lives on something other than the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, and that foundation has now crumbled or is now actively crumbling. They have put their hope in in someone or some things other than Jesus Christ. And those foundations are crumbling. And so you and I get to be the witness in their life today that God is unchanged and unchanging. He is secure. He is faithful. And he is ready. He is ready to help them build a new life in Christ today. All right, first up this morning, I've got Jason Meyer. Uh, he is the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. He and I are going to talk about what it's like to be a shepherd in the midst of the COVID crisis. We're also going to talk about how we find hope in the midst of real fear. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Pastor Jason Meyer. He's the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in the great city of Minneapolis. Um, And he's also an associate professor of New Testament at Bethlehem College and Seminary. He's an author. He has been with us before. We've most recently talked about his book, Don't Lose Heart, Gospel Hope for the Discouraged Soul. Jason, welcome back. Great to be with you. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. So you are... um, you're a person whose life is built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. So maybe we just start there. Um, just be of encouragement to our listeners today that Christ holds in the midst of all of this. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to understand that uh, the world is shaken to the core when it feels like it's lost control. But Christians understand you can't lose something you never had. We were never in control ever. We had at one point the kind of illusion of control, but that's been stripped away now. And now we come down to the very fact that Scripture says that He controls all things by the word of His power. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So the the anchor for the Christian is always Christ. And what happens in these times when Christ is all you have, you find out he's really all you need. There are people, Jason, who um, have already lost a lot. Um, I think talking about grief and acknowledging that it's reasonable to grieve the loss of a routine, it's reasonable to grieve the loss of uh, of a sense of community because we can't you know, be together. Um, it's reasonable to grieve certainly the loss of life or the loss of health. It's certainly reasonable to grieve the loss of a job. 
just talk a little bit about grief and how you and your people are processing through that? Yeah, grief grief is such an important gift that God has given us. Sometimes people think that we're supposed to simply believe and not doubt and, and almost not feel pain. We forget a third of the Psalms are lament. We're given this gift called lament because when the pain is crushing, lament isn't a lead balloon. It's actually a cry of faith, turning to God with our grief and our pain and trusting that he cares is an incredibly faithful act. So we're called to take these things that are a loss and a grief, and we're called to lament it. But you always lament with a, with a kind of hope, as Paul says, when, especially when we lose loved ones. We grieve, but not like the rest of the world. We grieve like those who have hope. So when you grieve, for example, the loss of a job, you acknowledge, you bring that to God, and you say, this, this hurts, and I'm fighting to trust you. I'm fighting for hope. Or you lose a loved one. These, these things, if you don't take them to God, they're, they're going to sit there, and they're going to disorient you. Suffering is so disorienting because it's like getting hit over the head with a bat. And suddenly you just feel so disoriented. And what do I do with this? The, the way to fight against cynicism is to take that pain and know God sees it. And he knows it. He sees what you see. But he also sees more than you see. He sees what he's doing through all of this. This crisis did not suddenly take Romans 8.28 out of the Bible. God is at work for good, even when we don't see it. So the Christian life has all of the resources that we need to deal with pain and loss and grief, but it really depends on where do we take that. First Peter 5 says that we are to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand by casting our cares on him because he cares for us. And that tells us very specifically what humility is. Humility says, I can't carry these cares. That's what pride would do. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to figure it out on my own. I'm going to trust my own plan, my own resources. No, humility says, I can't carry these cares. They're crushing. I have to cast them. Where am I going to take them? Who am I going to give them to? This verse says that God cares for you. He wants them. And so I would just encourage all of the listeners here to not, in, in the midst of all of these crushing cares, to not try to carry them on your own, but to cast them on God, knowing that he cares. Jason Meyer and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I'm going to ask the pastor, you know, as the world is responding with such fear, um, how can we as Christians, you know, witness to this settled peace that we experience Um, And then I'm also going to ask, why does this pandemic seem to be bringing out both the best and the worst uh, in human moral behavior? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
Jason Myers, the pastor of Preaching and Vision at Bethlehem Baptist Church. He is also an associate professor of preaching at Bethlehem College and Seminary. You can find his books everywhere books are sold. You can also find some of his writing at desiringgod.org. Um, most recently, Jason has been with us to um, to talk about uh, Don't Lose Heart, Gospel Hope for the Discouraged Soul. He is back with us today in what I might start calling the Ask the Pastor segment. So, Pastor, thank you again for being with us today. Um, why Why does it seem like this is bringing out, you know, when I say this, the coronavirus, this this pandemic, this, you know, I don't know, safe at home, stay at home, these kinds of uh, of things we've been asked to do. Why does it seem like this is bringing out both the best and the worst in people? So what this does, a couple categories here, it, it simply reveals what's, what's there. So uh, once heard an analogy, somebody had a, a bottle of water on the stage and they were shaking it, and uh, there was water all over the floor then of the stage, and the author asked, why is there water on the floor? And people answered, well, it's because you shook the bottle. Like, no, it's because there is water in the bottle. When, some, when you're shaken, what's there comes out. It simply reveals what's there. And we have these categories called structure and direction. God created everything, these created structures. He created them good. The direction we take them determines morally what it becomes. We can take things like music or sex or food or toilet paper, whatever it is. We can take those are good things, and we can take them in Godward directions or godless directions. And so sharing toilet paper with people in need suddenly becomes a great moral act, and hoarding it becomes an evil thing. I mean, Luke 3.11, it's amazing how Scripture speaks to this. He who has two tunics should share with the person in need. I think that applies to toilet paper. We don't, Christians don't hoard, right? So in in these situations, what happens is what's really inside, what's really there comes out, and people become creative with their care, or people become creative with their sin. Like Romans chapter 1 says, part of the fall is that they are inventors of ways of doing evil. So during this time, you see the best come out. I just heard about the, the orthodontist that my family goes to that donated their medical supplies to the hospitals. That's a creative care act that says we we love people and we're not going to hoard. I also heard that in Italy, for example, uh, one of the major pornography distributors decided to make it free to all the people in Italy, and pornography usage spikes. So in these times, what we see is it becomes kind of a, a canvas upon which we just paint what's really there in our hearts. So we want to be celebrating um, those those places, those churches, those ministries, those people, those those individuals out there in the community who are uh, demonstrating creative care. And so um, I'd love to hear those stories. You can always text me at 877-933-2484. You can email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, I'll be sure to read on air the things that you guys share about what's happening positively, creatively in your community, like this orthodontist whose practice is 
contributing their medical supplies uh, to the hospital because the hospital is actually in greater need right now than um, than those of us who would be going for what would be at this point very elective um, medical or dental procedures. And so great, great example there, Jason. Um, All right. So um, you have something to add to that, it sounds like. Yeah, I I just think in, in these days, what's really clear is that Christians are not to hoard the the greatest gift they have right now to give, which is hope. We're called, 1 Peter 3.15, to give a reason for the hope that's in us. And I think what happens when we show creative care is that it's a tangible expression of hope. We're not hoping in hoarding, which is what so many people are doing, or even hoping in hand-washing. What we're doing is we're hoping in the Lord. So one of the things that, that we've done like in our live stream services, um, and, and a lot of people are even concerned about that. Like, does that, does that mean that uh, you're, you're scared? I said, no, we're doing this out of love, not out of fear. We love, especially our elderly people at church, we're, we're not going to put them in harm's way. So we're going to fight for hope using the, again, technology, good things that God has given us. And one of the things I did in the first welcome of our first live stream service is say, here's an opportunity that this virus, coronavirus, is not going to take us off mission. So when you do the daily things that you do, you're able to do First Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So I gave an example. How do you do hand-washing to the glory of God? I said, rather than what some people say, you know, sing the happy birthday song for 20 seconds, which means twice. I said, I'm not going to sing happy birthday to me twice. That sounds really weird. Rather than doing that while you're washing your hands, say the Lord's Prayer. I've actually started looking forward to washing my hands. It becomes an opportunity for communion. And then I got an email from somebody in our church that this, this little girl had written the Lord's Prayer and taped it up near the sink for her little sister who couldn't uh, memorize the verse yet. That's just an example of moments where we're able to fight for hope, not hoping in hand-washing, but while hand-washing, turning to the one to whom our hope is in. So I've heard some um, some other ideas related to hand-washing. I'll share those with you, and you can share them with others as well, Jason. Um, I have a friend who, uh, as, a, as a part of her practice during Lent, she has long focused her, um, you know, her attention on Psalm 51, which includes the wash mm-hmm. me thoroughly, right, verse. And so she, she recites Psalm 51 while she's washing her hands. Um, I have another mm-hmm. friend who is recommending the singing of the doxology. Like stand in, in, and while you're washing your hands, just with all your heart, sing the doxology, right? Um, you got to do it a mm-hmm. couple of times because it's kind of short. That's right. <laughs> but it gets That's us focused right. on the right things, and it gets our attention focused in the right direction. Jason, I hope you'll come back. Um, this is going to be an ongoing conversation that you're having with, uh, you know, with the people of your flock and community. Uh, it's an ongoing conversation we're going to be having here as the community of people who gather uh, at Mornings with Carmen. I hope you'll come back um, and continue this conversation in the coming weeks. Absolutely. We, appre- we appreciate you being here today so we could ask the pastor. That's Jason Meyer from Bethlehem Baptist Church 
Uh, really, really appreciate your time with us today. We'll be right back. of everything that is going on, uh, people have lots of questions, and obviously we are still paying attention to the headlines of the day. And so Professor Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College is going to be with me next. We're going to talk about that stock sale um, issue where senators have been, um, were apparently selling off stock prior to the rest of us knowing about the coronavirus. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about the fact that it looks like Democrats and Republicans on the Hill, on Capitol Hill, have um, failed to agree on what economic measures to take. And so what that process is going to look like today and in the days to come. And then we're going to have a a, a broader conversation about the issue of governmental power in the time of crisis. And you may be interested to know what constitutional justifications the the state, the the government, is using um, to curb freedom. Like, right? It's a good conversation to have. We'll be right back. Adam Carrington is uh, a professor at Hillsdale College and a regular conversation partner here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back, sir. Glad to be back. And I'll say that given the the massive distance, we are practicing more than adequate social distancing in this conversation. (laughs) Always adequate social distancing. You and I have never actually met in person, to my knowledge. So we have like the social distancing example of how people can communicate and really converse and yet, you know, have uh, have more than appropriate social distance. Yes. Well, I, I think I've said before I'm Presbyterian and I think they they're, they're they by nature practice social dis- distancing. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not, not a lot changing in the fellowship greeting uh, or wouldn't wouldn't have been a lot of change in the fellowship greeting. But we're not even doing that right now. So, um, all right. What's t- just tell us what your new normal is. Uh, what is your new normal this week? Um, in in your life and rhythms, what's going on? Right. Well, uh, we start up online classes this morning. We had spring break two weeks ago at, at my institution, and then because of all the difficulties, we 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 are we took last week to just try to figure out how to make classes work online. Um, we are uh, we we don't believe at least my my family uh, immediate family doesn't have uh, we're we're not that high risk uh, when it comes to the virus, although there are a few health things that that have us minorly concerned. But what we're doing is trying to minimize how much we go out, uh, minimize how much we interact with people directly. Um, 
in a way more to just try to be uh, not carriers of this in some way, shape, or form. We do know a lot of people that are older, a lot of people with underlying health problems. So I've been working from home mostly, uh, doing a lot of things over, you know, online or by phone. And uh, uh, we've been only going to things like the grocery store if we need to. So, uh, you know, we don't think we're at high risk, but we're trying to not be carriers given uh, the, the unprecedented worry that, that that is existing about this. So my my uh, extroverted wife is 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 pretty uh, feels pretty holed up right now. <laughs> so I do want to um, let people know if you go if you just type in the word Hillsdale and then uh, free online courses. You can actually use this time at home to um, further your own education. Like there are free online courses that you can take um, right now um, and deepen your understanding of some of the great ideas related to Western civilization. It's a good time to um, jump into politics and literature and history and religion and the intersection of all of those um, streams. So just wanted to encourage people to uh, use their time productively and positively uh, in this season. All right, so let's talk about this story out of Washington, D.C. I'm describing it this way. There are a number of senators who apparently, well, they're facing questions about why they were selling stocks um, prior to everyone else knowing that the coronavirus was going to tank the market and why some of them were then buying stocks that were predictive would predictably go up uh, the value of them would go up in a pandemic tell us what's going on here right uh and and, and these include the the main one that has been questioned is senator richard burr out of north carolina but also Diane feinstein out of california two more senators from uh georgia and i believe uh, oklahoma and um the the yeah and the issue is uh, one additional detail is that a lot of these stocks got sold or bought not just before the stock market tanked, but after all of these senators were at least allowed and definitely some of them attended a private briefing with the president about the coronavirus threat. So in other words, they had, it seemed, information that the general public didn't, uh, and it seems like their actions would be in accord with what anyone would do if they had known that information. And there's both a a legal and really, I think, a more fundamental moral and, and ethical question in this. Now, we, we're going to have to figure out what did they know? How much do they control their own stocks? You know, that that's all part of the question. But um, the legal issue is there's what's called the Stock Act of 2012, which says the congressman can't act on non-public knowledge. If you receive a private briefing, you can't sell your stocks or buy your stocks based on that, that that's actually illegal. So that's one question they're going to have to figure out is, are there legal liabilities if these senators knew what they were doing, if they were controlling their stock purchases? But the bigger thing is, why is it so bad morally? Um you know, as, as on one level, some of these senators were reassuring people about the economy being strong and about how uh, the virus, you know, we didn't know that the virus might be that bad, some of them were saying. Uh, and even deeper than that, you know, why did these senators have access to this information when others didn't? And it's the idea that they have a public trust. They are to act for the good of the people, the good of the country. And they are given this private information in order to do a better job of that. 
Uh, instead, if these accusations are true, they used it for their own private gain, not for the benefit of the country, when many others uh, who didn't have this information have now been financially rocked, if not ruined. And in some ways, it, it's a kind of oligarchic move, a kind of rule of the few for themselves, if indeed uh, they were in control of these stocks and, and, and acted in this way. So it goes back to, are, is your government serving you or, or, or is it serving itself, uh, I think is a fundamental question if these people are indeed guilty of what they're being accused of. So, Adam, this story um, is going to have lots and lots of layers. Uh, there are now members of the House of Representatives um, who have been identified as having taken similar actions or, you know, sold sold, sold stock shares in um, airline and, and cruise companies. We have uh, a senior aide to Mitch McConnell um, who is under review right now, an aide to Senator Gene Shaheen. This particular individual serves on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and sold off stock in companies, including Delta Airlines, and then later bought stock in Clorox, all before the rest of us knew, um, you know, in full what was going on. So I think we're not only going to see an ethics committee uh, review, I think we're going to see, yes, we're going to see a really full scale condemnation um, of the way this works. And I think your final point is the one that most people are going to be pointing to like it's it's fundamentally unfair for people to literally trade on on information that they have access to that the rest of us do not yeah and when people are hurting as much as they're they are already are and i think it's going to even get worse um people are not going to be very charitable to this kind of thing and understandably so that people that are already in comfortable positions further padding themselves at the expense of people that don't have any room for error mm-hmm. exactly all right so um maybe we may be able to dispense with this next one fairly quickly because uh i understand they're kind of at a stalemate what is happening in terms of an agreement on economic measures to help working Americans and those who are the most vulnerable right now. Right. And, and a big point of this is uh, that a lot of Americans are hurting not because of poor planning or unethical activity, but because the government has taken unprecedented means to uh, fight the virus. And that has included an almost shutdown of the economy, in some places a complete one. And uh, so so the idea is uh, a lot of these people need help, and they need help because the government has told them they can't run their business. And uh, uh, the, the stalemate is, I think, twofold. Everyone agrees there needs to be help to uh, a lot of Americans. Uh, the, I think the two one, the, the, the big debates are, one, how much oversight uh, can Congress and others give the executive branch when it's giving out this money? Uh, second, how many, str- how much strings attached do we give to businesses? Do we make them keep their workers, rehire their workers, keep their salaries of their workers, or do we just give them money with less strings attached and let them decide what to do? And it all comes down to what's the way we can help Americans the best to stave off uh, what what is going to be a recession, but not let it become something much, much worse. And I think that's the underlying debates that are going on is what's the best package to do that based on who gets helped in what ways. So we have a we have a listener who is uh, who is wondering um, about the stock market and how it works. But that's probably more than you and I can can cover um, in the time that we have today. Um, I do think that the responsibility of those holding public office 
to be of uh, to be primarily concerned with the welfare of uh, of individuals who have been harmed by this by no fault of their own. I think that that is ultimately going to be the question that most Americans are asking their members of Congress. Like this, this is actually not my fault. Um, and so, uh, and so, how are we the people? Like, right? That's who we are as the government. Um, how are we the people going to actually help the people not only survive but but come through this in such a way that then we can thrive again together? Yep. And I th- given that the backbone of American business is still small businesses who often live with not a lot of cash reserves, you have the problem of not a layoffs, but of a fundamental collapse of the backbone of American business. And that's not good for many small towns. That's not good for the workers themselves. So uh, I think not only does this package need to be large, and I think some people are underestimating how large it needs to be, uh, I think it also needs to uh, uh, be something that can really prop up small businesses that are on the verge of failing. Otherwise, we risk much worse than a big recession. All right, um, Adam Carrington and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going we're gonna to talk about the issue of governmental power in a time of crisis. What does it look like to protect our liberty, um, you know, in the midst of these times when the, when the state has to take action or feels like it has to take action to actually limit the liberty of, uh, of many of us in the midst of this coronavirus? We'll be right back. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We Continuing my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. All right, Adam, let's weigh into the, or wade. <laughs> well, let's wade in and then maybe let's weigh in. Um, on, this, uh, on this conversation about the constitutional justification for actions that are taken by the state in the midst of these kinds of crises. Right. I mean, you have as much as uh, now Louisiana, um, Ohio, as of tonight, and and several other states on what they call lockdown, which means all non-essential personnel, businesses, everything else is 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 shut down, and that is a massive limit on what we normally understand to be our liberty, what we normally understand to be the exercise of our property. So, what gives? Why why is that the case? And I think. Uh, The way to understand that is to go back to why we have government in the first place. Um, uh, James Madison, you know, said that having government at all is is a commentary on human nature and on the nature of life in the world. And what it means is there are a lot of threats to our good, a lot of threats to our safety, our lives um, that are out there. And why does government exist uh, in large part to protect us from those? Uh, at the same time, we worry the government can become too powerful because uh, he, he says famously, angels don't govern men. So we need limits. But the question is, in, in, in normal times, there's sort of one balance required as far as balancing government positively protecting us and balancing not letting it itself become an oppressor. Uh, In times of crisis, most understand that that changes. And even I think the Constitution does and that what government needs to do to keep you safe is higher Uh, It's more involved than it would be in normal times. And I think the wisdom of maintaining your liberty and your security is knowing your situation, knowing what is the time we're in and adapting what government uh, what government 
powers and restraints exist based on that circumstance. And we're in pretty extreme circumstances based on what people are afraid is coming. So the idea that there would be more government action uh, seems uh, in line with that view of, 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 of what liberty should be. So one of the curiosities, I mean, I have people uh, texting, asking, like, how do how do we know which states are at what status in terms of um, of orders? And and how does that work if I'm you know, if I live in Tennessee and I decide I want to drive to Florida, um, if Georgia is in a, you know, sort of non-essential travel, don't leave your leave your home safe at home or stay at home order. Like how how is my own ability to travel from one place to another affected by that. I think these are going to be real questions. Hawaii, um, if you if you decide or if you have planned to go to Hawaii on vacation, let me just tell you, when you arrive, you are going to be put into a 14-day quarantine. So depending on how long you had planned to stay there, uh, the part of Hawaii you're going to see is going to be the four walls of one room. Yeah, and like, this is right? happening. That's not you, what my yeah. Hawaiian vacation would have been. Like, that's not what I would have been planning. Well, pretty fundamental. This isn't about vacation or travel, but um, they're taking temperatures outside our hospital. And if you have a temperature, you can't go in. You know, my wife's in uh, her third trimester of pregnancy, and they said if if your husband has a fever, you have to deliver the baby alone. Uh, You know, it's it's questions. A lot of really difficult questions are coming up. And I would just say you're going to have to if you're going to travel, if you have to travel, you're going to have to call. Uh, the state, you know, uh, Secretary of State's office, or you're going to need to, you know, do your research to make sure you know whether it's worth it, to you know whether it's legal, uh, and and try to be at least as understanding as possible uh, of of why this is going on, and and hopefully, my hope is uh, more and more testing gets ramped up, and that we can start to identify definitively where the hot zones are of this virus and where or not, and that maybe not all of Americans' lives have to be as restricted as they are right now. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that develops as time goes on, because you could say, yes, some places are in crisis, maybe not the whole country is, and that would change the uh, what each state or each locality should be doing based on what I was saying earlier. Uh, okay, so apparently in some places across the country, um, already women giving birth by themselves, nobody allowed in that delivery room. So uh, New York, New York Presbyterian Hospital just announced that as of today. Yes. Wow, and it looks like um, it looks like that's possibly also true in some hospitals in San Francisco. So, um, yeah, it's it's um, uh, interesting, certainly interesting times uh, in which in which we live. Um, All right. So I think that, Adam, some of the conversations going forward in terms of this sort of governmental power, individual rights, and then um, what I would just describe as the strange times in which we were already living. So I think that coming uh, coming up in the in the next few weeks and months, we're going to have increasing conversations about what is essential and non-essential in terms of medical care. Um, I'm hearing um, argumentation from planned plant. Planned Parenthood, that abortion clinics must remain open during the coronavirus um, because uh, abortion is an essential um, health care procedure for women. And I think that is going to be, I know that in Ohio they have shut them down, but I think that across the country that's increasingly going to be a conversation we're going to be having. The other one is about um, people who are seeking to transition from uh, one gender to another, um, as if that were possible. 
Um, but they are they are saying that it is life saving surgery and they must uh, proceed forward with their um, uh, what I regard as a mutilation of their flesh, um, that it is not elective and that it is uh, it is something that in the midst of coronavirus, they must be not only given access to, but the government must pay for it. I, I think those are going to be I mean, we were already in strange times. And those conversations as we move forward uh, are, are going to be ones we're going to want to talk with you about. Yep. Crises do that. They force you to actually ask what you think human beings are and what our purpose in life is. And that is really what orders our life together. And we've already been we are already having, as you said, deep debates on that. That is only, I think, going to get more visceral with a, a crisis like this, uh, forcing us to actually make hard choices rather than just debate it in theory. Absolutely. All right, Adam, we're thankful for you in the midst of this. Um, Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, hope everyone stays safe. You as well. Blessings. We'll be right back. All right, we are going to continue to be uh, people who not only demonstrate but articulate the certainty of a faith that holds because we worship a Christ who holds because we have constructed our lives on the firm foundation of who he is, not on the shifting sands of circumstance. And so uh, let's be people who are praying the news today. Let's be people who are caring for one another today, praying ardently, not only for one another, but for the world that God so loves. Uh, Let's be creatively figuring out how we can be people who testify to the goodness and mercy of God in the midst of all of this. We have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.